Hey, Big Ten fans, welcome back to another edition of the Big Ten Morning Minutes. I'm your host, Michael Chen. Give me a follow on Twitter at MFC2123. It is Monday, November 25th, 2019. And first off, I want to apologize for a little bit of miscommunication last week. I said I was going to bring you a afternoon morning minutes on Friday. Unfortunately, I got invited to the Bulls game, so... My schedule changed, and I ended up going to the Bulls game. Obviously, a blowout loss to Jimmy Butler and the Miami Heat, but fun time nevertheless. Couldn't pass it up, so I apologize for not getting to you on Friday, but I am back here on Monday. We're going to recap the whole weekend, and let's start off with the action on the field this weekend. We're going to start off with the biggest game of the weekend, and that was the Buckeyes hosting the Nittany Lions, and in this one, Ohio State was favored pretty significantly. And when you watched the first quarter, first two quarters, you thought, well, that it might have been a little bit low on them being favored. I believe they were 19-and-a-half-point favorites. The Buckeyes had had a streak of 10 games in a row where they had beaten their opponents by more than 24 points. Well, Penn State had none of it and the Nittany Lions aided by multiple turnovers by the Buckeyes uncharacteristic turnovers they kept them in the game Justin Fields fumbled going into the end zone Penn State recovered for a touchback Fields had another two fumbles although one was recovered back by him Penn State recovered the other one. J.K. Dobbins also fumbled in the third quarter. And that's pretty much what you saw. Ten-point swing for the Nittany Lions. Out of the gate, 14-0 at half. Out of the gate, the Buckeyes get the ball back, march right down the field, and put seven more points up. And the Nittany Lions, early in the third, are looking at a 21-0 deficit. And you would have thought, oh, geez, they're just going to fold. This game's over. Ohio State's just been absolutely murdering everybody that they've faced this year. This game is done. Well, Penn State had a huge drive coming off of that Ohio State touchdown and scored as well for them, putting up seven points. And then the fumbles happened. And an interesting development during all those fumbles is that starting quarterback, Sean Clifford, got knocked out of the game. And that, in turn, went to redshirt freshman Will Levis. And although you look at Levis's numbers and they weren't very impressive, 6 of 11 for 57 yards and an interception, he brought life back to that Penn State offense for at least a couple of drives while the Ohio State defensive coordinators were trying to figure out how to defend the young man not much tape on Levis they obviously they prepared for Sean Clifford they were ready for him but they weren't ready for Levis and he helped the Nittany Lions get those 10 points as soon as the Ohio State coordinators had an opportunity to see what Levis was doing they pretty much shut down the Nittany Lions in the second half. The Buckeyes added another touchdown in the fourth quarter to get to the final score of 28-17. to But 
the Buckeyes looked fairly impressive. The score might not indicate that. The score might indicate they kind of went through this game, blah, blah, blah. Well, they almost doubled the yardage allowed uh, to Penn State, almost. And I think that when you kind of look at it, Ohio State did everything right. They just made some mistakes to keep Penn State in the game. This one very well could have been a 35-7, to maybe even a 42-7 to type contest. But credit Penn State and James Franklin. They never gave up. They continued to battle. They made their own breaks. I'll tell you what. During the game, Michael Parsons was an absolute monster. Yutur Gross Matos, fantastic. The defensive line for the Nittany Lions was damn good. They did a lot of good things. Lamont Wade, he was recruited by the Buckeyes, also had a really good game. He had a strip forcing one of those fumbles. Penn State's good. They are damn good. Like I said at the beginning of the year, I had them winning the conference. Uh, unfortunately, I was wrong, and I will lie on that bed, but they're a good team. They did drop in the rankings, and we'll get to that in a little bit, but they're a damn good team, and this is, I would say this is the first true test for Ohio State. The, the Wisconsin game, Wisconsin really didn't bring too much to the table against the Buckeyes, but Penn State battled the Buckeyes. A lot of the Buckeyes hadn't seen, their starters at least, hadn't seen the fourth quarter this year. They finally saw it, and you know what the Buckeyes are going to do. If the Buckeyes are going to play like this against Clemson in a national semifinal, or like this in a potential matchup against LSU, they're going to lose. They are going to lose. You can't play like this and expect to win. The home crowd really played in their favor as well in Columbus. But you just can't expect to have that kind of sloppy play, especially turnovers on your side of the field, giving short fields to the other offense. That's not going to work. That's not going to play. It just isn't. The rest of the games in the conference, aside from the Iowa-Illinois game, weren't close at all. And we'll go to that one in a game where the Fighting Illini coming off of a four-game winning streak, they did have a bye. And I kind of thought that, unfortunately for the Fighting Illini, that that bye was going to stop their momentum. And unfortunately, it did. Their defense once again, absolutely fantastic. They have one of the better defenses in the country and the conference as well. But unfortunately for Lovey Smith, they just couldn't muster enough offense. Brandon Peters was average, completing just a little bit over half of his attempts through two interceptions, though. And that's the key here. That Iowa defense is damn good as well. And they showed it. Both teams struggling on offense, not a lot of yardage, almost exactly the same on both sides. But it was the defenses that ruled the day. Uh, linebacker Christian Welch for Iowa had a big game, 12 tackles, a sack. Daley Harding, the Big Ten Conference's leader in tackling, had 12 to pace both teams tied with Welch for the game lead. Sidney Brown once again comes up with a big-time interception. 
but it wasn't quite enough. The offense just couldn't get enough going in Iowa City, and I'll tell you what, when you go into Kinnick, it's hard to beat the Hawkeyes. Kinnick's a tough place to play. Ask Minnesota. Ask Ohio State. There are a lot of teams that come in highly ranked that lose in Kinnick. There's just something about going into Iowa. It might be the pink locker rooms. Who knows? Regardless of what it is, it's another loss for Illinois. They are bowl eligible. They got Northwestern this week, which should be another W on the board for them. But uh, Iowa gets another W. 8-4 and four, Kirk Ferentz leading the way every damn year. You can mark 8-4 and four on Kirk Ferentz's record, and you say, eh, all right, because Nebraska's, they, they got Nebraska this week, and there's a lot riding on it for Nebraska. Uh, we'll get to their game in a minute, but what's riding is Nebraska's got an opportunity to make a bowl game with something they didn't do last year after a tough one, and if they're able to knock off Iowa next week, they are going bowling. Uh, speaking of the Illinois, their opponent next week, that's Northwestern. They hosted Minnesota this past weekend, and all Tanner Morgan did was throw for four touchdowns. This guy's a four-touchdown machine. I'm very surprised about the year that he has had. Zach Anikstad was the projected starter coming into the year. Tanner Morgan took over after Anikstad got hurt out for the season at the beginning of the year with a foot injury. And all he's done is turn in a masterful performance for the season. Ten wins against one loss for the Gophers after beating Northwestern 38-22. to He's got a pair of NFL wide receivers that he gets to throw to. And you can't discount the fact that that's one of the reasons why you're seeing Tanner Morgan be absolutely fantastic. Rashad Bateman... Tyler Johnson, they're playing on Sundays. And they're not just going to play on Sundays. They're going to be effective players on Sundays. Tyler Johnson had seven receptions for 125 yards and a touchdown, but he wasn't the guy that stood out like a sore thumb. That was Rashad Bateman. Seven of his receptions, I'm sorry, three of his seven receptions went for touchdowns. Only 78 yards, but when you're pretty much Catching every other pass for a touchdown, I think the yardage doesn't really matter too much. Now, Morgan only completed one other pass to another receiver all night or all afternoon. I apologize, but it didn't really need much. The Northwestern offense, once again, spotty at best. You're looking at Hunter Johnson starting the game, got knocked out early which led to Andrew Marty getting an opportunity. And Marty, although the completion percentage on the QBR was pretty damn solid, they, the Wildcats just have issues moving the ball. Marty, 8 of 10, 95 yards, touchdown, solid. Ran for two touchdowns as well. But the key is, is that Northwestern never really got anything going. Averaged right about... Uh, two and a half yards of carry on the ground. Really couldn't move the ball much. Riley Lee's once again the favorite target. I guess it doesn't really matter who is throwing the ball. It's uh, Majority of the time it's going to Riley Lee's. Led the team once again in catches last uh, this week. Obviously Aiden O'Connell unable to go. Or Aiden Smith, I'm sorry. Uh, Aiden O'Connell plays for 
Purdue. Uh, and it's just a, it's, it's a long season, and, you know, Pat Fitzgerald, he said it a few weeks ago. He's ready for this one to move on. Uh, one quick note for Northwestern, however, congratulations to Patty. I'm sorry, not Patty Fisher, to their defensive lineman, Joe Gaziano. Uh, he became the all-time sack leader for the Wildcats with 29 career sacks. So congratulations to the talented defensive lineman. Most likely, you'll see Gaziano playing on Sundays as well. Uh, Antoine Winfield Jr. once again proving to be one of the best defensive backs in the country. 11 tackles and a sack to his name. Moving on to Wisconsin and Jonathan Taylor. He is a beast. He is not going to be in Madison next year. He just had his third straight 200-yard-plus game. 28 carries, 222 yards, a touchdown. He did fumble the ball twice, though, so that's something to watch out for. But he was just absolutely fantastic. And when you're amassing that many yards on the ground, 403 a team total for Wisconsin, you're going to win the game. And unfortunately for Purdue, their offense is completely different. Their offense is an air raid offense. Jeff Brom likes to keep the ball in the air. And Aiden O'Connell, he was pretty good. They did throw the ball 43 times. He completed 26 of them for 289 yards, two touchdowns and a pick. But that just wasn't enough. It's not going to be enough. When you control the ground game like Wisconsin did, Jack Cohen didn't really have to do much. He threw for 203 yards, did throw an interception along with his two touchdowns. But this one was all about Jonathan Taylor, and rightfully so. Jonathan Taylor is, continues to break records. He's just been absolutely fantastic. 12 career 200-yard games, which I believe puts him first in Wisconsin history. And he's just, he's an NFL player playing on Saturdays. It's really what it is. He's... I'd love to see him go in the first round, although the NFL doesn't value enough, uh, running backs very highly anymore. I still think that he is talented enough to end up in the first round. Chris Orr, the talented linebacker for the Badgers, had a really good game. Nine tackles, a sack, a, couple, a pass deflected as well. So he was a nice little standout for the Badgers this weekend. Michigan, they have found an offense and they've found it at the right time. They are peaking. And that is scary. And it should be scary to the team that's in Columbus right now. Because when you looked at the beginning of the year, you thought, well, Michigan's got a good defense, but that offense just, it, it ain't working. Nothing's going. Well, Michigan in the last three weeks, I'm sorry, four weeks since their loss against Penn State, Everything's changed. They put up 45 points against Notre Dame, 38 points against Maryland, 44 points against Michigan State, 39 points against Indiana. And leaving the Maryland game, I looked at that one and I said, all right, well, this is they, – they're still not necessarily th throwing the ball and Shea Patterson's not really doing it through the air. Well, the last two weeks, everything has changed. Patterson is doing it through the air, and it's been very impressive because 
You expected them to be a little bit more ground and pound. Well, Patterson against the Spartans at that 384-yard game, four touchdowns, no picks, and very effective. Completed a high percentage of those balls. And then now this weekend, going into Indiana, and what Patterson did was also impressive. 20 of 32, 366 yards, five touchdowns. He did throw a pick. They really didn't run the ball. So what Michigan's strength was a few weeks ago against Maryland, it was running it. Against Notre Dame, it was running it as well. They flipped the script. Now they're throwing the ball. Nico Collins had three touchdowns of his six receptions for 165 yards. Threw one to Donovan's People Jones as well. Ronnie Bell added a touchdown also. It was just an impressive, impressive showing for the Wolverine offense. And this is exactly what they need going into it against the Buckeyes. Unfortunately for Indiana, their starting quarterback, Peyton Ramsey got knocked around a good deal, got knocked out of the game. Jack Tuttle came in for a little bit. Ramsey did return, but he wasn't the same. He wasn't as the, the effective Indiana quarterback that we have seen in the past. He struggled mightily against uh, Ohio State and Michigan. Those are the two biggest games for the Hoosiers on their slate, and it, they he struggled, and it's unfortunate. Uh, they were missing Whoop Vilor. Unfortunately, he was on the sidelines, and they just the Hoosiers just couldn't get anything going. They really couldn't. So, Michigan getting that W, and now they've got the big game, the game, this weekend, and it's already turned over, getting ready to go. Michigan State went into Rutgers and made their lives miserable once again, a 27 to nothing victory for Michigan State. Nunzo Campanelli in over his head. And there is some big-time Rucker news that I will get to in a minute, but it is the most surprising thing I've heard of out of Piscataway, and it's absolutely shocking. But we'll get to that in a few moments. Not really going to go over much of this game. Uh, both these teams, uh, th there's not really much going on. And then, like I said previously, Nebraska got a huge win over Maryland, 54-7. to Mike Loxley's team has kind of lost it. They're struggling big time. Well, Nebraska, yes, they've, they've had their issues this year. Uh, obviously, Adrian Martinez hasn't been able to stay healthy either. But now you're looking at a Nebraska team that could qualify for a bowl game. They're right there. Uh, Martinez was really good this past week, accounted for three total touchdowns, two in the air and one on the ground. Almost 100 yards rushing, just missed it with 94 on 10 attempts. Uh, threw a couple touchdowns to his talented wide receiver, J.D. Spielman. And that was it. That was how what happened. And uh, this game also, uh, not much going on on that one, so we won't get too deep on it. So offensively, you're looking at some players of the week, the nominations, uh, for me, you're looking at a J.K. Dobbins. He had 36 carries, a workhorse, 157 yards, two touchdowns. Uh, Tanner Morgan with his four touchdowns thrown, uh, one of them to Tyler Johnson, three of them to Rashad Bateman. Jonathan Taylor, 28 carries for the 222 yards and a touchdown. Uh, Purdue's 
talented tight end Bryson Hopkins. He's on the Mackey Award list, the only conference player to make that one. Uh, you could have argued that Pat Freermuth from Penn State should have been on there as well. He, Hopkins, had eight receptions for 127 yards and two touchdowns. Shea Patterson, that was five touchdowns in the pick with 366 yards. Threw three of those touchdowns to Nico Collins for 165 yards. Michigan State's wide receiver Kobe White had 11 receptions for 136 yards and three touchdowns. And then J.D. Spielman also added those two touchdowns. I'm giving it to Shea Patterson. He was fantastic. The pick, that's the only blemish on there. 366 yards and five touchdowns and a runaway win at Indiana. He's getting it for me. And then on the defensive side of the ball, you've got Yutur Gross Matos. Itor, Itor, Itor Gross Matos. Nine tackles, two sacks, three and a half tackles for loss in the backfield all game. Antoine Winfield Jr. had 11 tackles along with a sack. Wisconsin's linebacker Chris Orr had nine tackles and a sack. Illinois' big-time linebacker Dele Harding, 12 tackles. Uh, 1.5 tackles for loss. Christian Welch for Iowa, their talented linebacker, had 12 tackles and a sack. But in his return to the field from a two-game suspension, Chase Young, Ohio State's defensive lineman, was absolutely dominant all game long. And I'm not sure what James Franklin was thinking this past weekend. Gave him a lot of one-on-ones with the offensive tackles, and Young made him pay. Nine tackles, three sacks, four tackles for loss, two forced fumbles. Boom. Chase Young. Also named Walter Camp Defensive Player of the Week. So when you're the Walter Camp National Defense Player of the Week, you know you're damn sure are the Conference Player of the Week. So we'll see what happens with the conference as they announce their Players of the Week later this afternoon. We'll get into the updated polls as well. Ohio State's still sitting pretty firm at two on both polls. Then you're going to find Michigan. They are 10 in the AP, 11 in the coaches. You've got a 12th-ranked Penn State in the coaches. They are ranked 12th as well in the AP. Wisconsin is 13 in the AP. They are 14 in the coaches. Then you've got one last team inside the conference that is ranked Iowa. They are 19 in the AP and 20 in the coaches. So that's where that's going. Uh, Let's talk a little bit about what's going on off the field yesterday or this past weekend uh, since Thursday. A college game day is going out to Minnesota for the game, uh, the Minnesota game against Wisconsin, which is going to determine who will win the West this past this this weekend not this past weekend uh, while Fox's big noon kickoff they're going to travel to Ann Arbor for the game so two of the biggest pregame college football shows will be at Big Ten locations this weekend now getting into some of the biggest news that I teased just a little bit early on with Rutgers and that is their courtship of Greg Schiano. Everything was going the way that it was supposed to for Rutgers. They had searched, they had interviewed other candidates, came back full circle to Greg Schiano, who obviously led them to probably their best stretch ever. And it just seemed like a perfect match 
that this was going to be exactly what Rutgers had envisioned. A reuniting of Greg Schiano and the Scarlet Knights. After Schiano left, went to the NFL, went and coached at Ohio State for a little while as a defensive coordinator. This was supposed to be it. This was supposed to be the match made in heaven. Well, sure as hell wasn't. Because Shiano asked for an eight-year, $32 million contract, which is $4 million a year. 25.2 of that guaranteed. So if they opted to fire him, that he would still get paid a majority of the contract and unlimited use of a private jet. And to be honest with you, at $4 million a year, I think that's a deal for Rutgers. That's a steal for Rutgers. And you know what? They said it was too much. And I can't believe it. I'm in shock. Because when you look at what Shiano did at Rutgers, he was awesome. He was fantastic. Constantly brought them to bowl games. Yeah, I was in the Big East, but... He still knows the area. He's very well respected. Recruiting would have got a boon. But to me, this shows that Rutgers is not committed to winning. They are not. And that is sad. It is really unfortunate. Because if they were committed to winning, okay, Greg, let's get it going. Because you're going to bring in more than that every year. Because you're going to have more eyes on the program you're going to bring in better players etc etc but that's not what Rutgers wants and that's pretty sad to me when you look at any team in any conference the objective is to win and Rutgers is not giving themselves a chance to win they are not and if I'm a Rutgers commit or if I'm even looking at Rutgers I'm not sure I would be anymore. I'd probably be moving on. I probably would. But that's just me. It is what it is. Oh, Rutgers. You just you can't you just can't get it right. Just can't. And it's sad, but Scarlet Knights are gonna be in a in a bad position here, because if they uh I like I said, Nunzio Campanelli is in over his head. If they stick with Nunzio, I'm not sure a lot of other coaches are going to want to go to Rutgers. They might be forced to stick stick with Nunzio. And I don't know if he's going to – I don't think he's the answer. That's for sure. That's for damn sure. Michigan State's star linebacker Joe Bacci has lost his appeal with the NCAA. He will not suit up again for Michigan State. The preseason All-American – got popped for performance enhancing drugs tested positive obviously made that appeal with the NCAA to regain his eligibility but the NCAA said nope not gonna happen not gonna happen uh, the linebacker that's not how he obviously wanted to go out I uh, thank Spartan Nation and everything in a tweet and it's unfortunate to see one of the Big Ten stars get hit for PEDs but it is what it is and the Spartans obviously moved on, got a W this past weekend, but still, it's uh, they're they're right on the cusp of bowl eligibility. They're gonna need one more win to do that. 
we'll see if uh, they're able to get there. But it's been a pretty disappointing year for Mark D'Antonio, Michigan State. Pretty disappointing. All right, let's get into some of the commits this past weekend. Ohio State flipped former Iowa State and in-state running back Mayan Williams. He is 5'10", 210 pounds. Uh, he had offers from Michigan, Minnesota, Purdue, and a couple others. That tells you the issues that the Buckeyes have had recruiting running backs this year. When you're talking about a guy that doesn't have a national list because the majority of Ohio State recruits, I'd say about 80% of them, are national guys. They're one of the schools, one of the few schools in the conference when you look at it, uh, Michigan and Penn State, that plenty of bring in national high-level recruits out of state. I'm not saying Williams isn't good. I'm just saying that the other prospects that they went after obviously went to other schools, so they had to kind of settle for Williams because their class is pretty much full. We'll get to the recruiting rankings in just a few moments. But uh, Williams is a solid addition. I'm not sure he'll ever be a big-time contributor for the Buckeyes. He will contribute at some point in time, but he's uh, more of a – he's not quite electric. He's more of a banger. Uh, he's a, a small, smaller-framed guy, but uh, he's got a lot of weight to him at 210. So a decent pickup for the Buckeyes. Uh, Maryland, they've got some issues, obviously. Uh, they lost this weekend to – Nebraska pretty handily while on the field it was tough uh, I, I forgot to mention that Lance Legendary dislocated his shoulder and he is going to be out for the remainder of the year for Maryland well Friday morning their wide receiver Taylor Fleet Davis was arrested with some pretty serious charges he did not have a license he was charged with endangerment to others with reckless driving and then the biggest one was driving while impaired by a controlled dangerous substance. Uh, that substance was not known. It was not re released. However, not good, and therefore Fleet Davis did not play on Saturday, and we'll w monitor what's going on. But uh, if I'm Mike Loxley, I'm holding out Fleet Davis for the finale this this coming weekend and just saying, hey, look, let's get your off-the-field stuff taken care of, and then we'll move on from there. They also lost freshman defensive back Trayron Collins. He's going to leave the team. Uh, he actually left the team during their bye week. However, the young man, smart, decided to finish out the semester at Maryland. Only played three games, so he will keep a red shirt and be able to red shirt this year. But Collins will no longer be a Terrapin. They did get a little bit of good news over there at College Park. For the 21 class, was wide receiver Ty Felton committed at 6'2", 172 pounds, a Virginia native, and offers from Nebraska, Virginia, and Virginia Tech, with a few others. So this is a solid get. At 21, to have uh, those kind of offers, you're a pretty decent player. So Felton should come in and, and play and be pretty good for Mike Loxley. It was... A very good senior day for Iowa this past weekend. Obviously, getting the win over Illinois helped, but they also added two commitments to their recruiting class in 20 defensive tackle Griffin Little and 21 linebacker Justice Sullivan. Little, an in-state guy, had offers from Michigan State, Minnesota, and Nebraska, and a few other schools. 6'3", 270 pounds, a solid size for Little. 
And for Sullivan, a Minnesota native, he had offers from in-state Minnesota, Nebraska as well. At 6'2", 220 pounds, very good size for a linebacker. The Fighting Illini dipped into the JUCO ranks going after athlete LeVar Gardner. Gardner is expected to play on the defensive side. He could be a linebacker. He could be a defensive back, probably a safety at 5'11", 210 pounds. They're not quite sure what Lovey Smith wants to do with him when he gets on campus, but uh, he had an offer from Nebraska and then a bunch of other non-Power 5 schools. All right, let's update the recruiting rankings because the early signing period is just around the corner a few weeks away. You got the Buckeyes sitting at four with 25 commits. And they're probably not going to move up too much. You got the Wolverines, the next Big Ten school at 12th nationally, dropped a couple spots. You got Penn State, who's dropped a couple spots as well. They are 14th. And then you got a couple schools in the conference that are just outside the top 25. Iowa is at 26. Wisconsin is at 27. Purdue is at 28. Northwestern, Nebraska, Minnesota, the next little clump of Big Ten schools, 32, 33, and 34 nationally, according to the 247 Sports Composite. You have Michigan State checking in at 44th overall in the country. Mark D'Antonio, obviously, doing a, not as good of work as he has done in the past. Maryland is right there at 53rd overall in the country. And then Indiana, 66th. Uh, a little surprising to me because Tom Allen's done really good the past two years in recruiting. They're taking a step back this year, but it's weird because they've had a better record on the field. So we'll see if he can create some of that momentum on the field over off the field onto the recruiting side of it. The Fighting Illini have made up a little bit of gap on Rutgers. Uh, they are 87th overall, while Rutgers has fallen to 92nd, uh, one of the worst recruiting classes in the country currently for Rutgers. And it's not surprising with everything going on over there. Like I said, I, I am still in shock as to the news about Greg Schiano. It's just absolutely ridiculous. All right, 24-7 Sports Brad Crawford projects Minnesota into the Rose Bowl against Utah while well, he's got the Buckeyes as the two-seed facing Clemson. He's got LSU and Oklahoma as the four-seed. Oh, interesting. I didn't expect to see Oklahoma there, uh, but uh, looks like they're going to get some love in as well. ESPN's Mark Schleback and Kyler Banagura also projected their bowls as well. Uh, they each had Ohio State and Clemson in the semifinals, while Banagura had LSU and Utah in as his 1-4, and Schleback had LSU and Oklahoma. So it's pretty much consensus, the top four right there. A little bit, I'm sorry, the top three. A little bit concerning about that four spot. But, you know, there's still this week and then championship week to be played. So a lot of things can change. Both of Schleback and Banagura had an Ohio State-Louisiana State championship game. A former Ohio State quarterback, Joe Burrow, going up against his Obviously, former team. A lot of friends on that team as well. Uh, ESPN also updated their power rankings for this past weekend's action. Ohio State checks in at number one. Minnesota is 11th. Penn State 12th. 
Wisconsin 13th, Michigan 14th, and Iowa is at 18th. CBS updated their bowl projections as well. They've got Ohio State Clemson as the 2-3, LSU Oklahoma as the 1-4. Wow. Looks like Oklahoma is trending towards that four spot. That'll be interesting to see uh, because I think Oklahoma's good. I'm not sure if they're that good. Uh, the three teams that I think are elite are LSU, Ohio State, and Clemson. And that's why they're one through three. I think it would be in Ohio State's best interest to get to that one spot. I'm not sure that's attainable right now because LSU most likely will face Georgia in the SEC championship game. And you know, Georgia can throw a whole wrench into the this thing because if Georgia wins, I think the committee will look pretty highly on Georgia as the SEC winner. And they could probably put them in and then I can't see how they leave LSU out at this point in time. Even with a loss in the SEC championship game. It'll be very interesting to see I will give you my projections for the Bulls tomorrow morning and do a little bit more research on what's going on. All right, let's move over to a couple notes on the hardwood. The Big Ten since Thursday, clean, clean, clean. Everybody won. Not one team in the conference lost this past weekend. Thursday night, Friday night, Saturday night, Sunday night. Everybody won. Everybody's happy. I'm not going to go into specifics on that because I'm going to take up way too much of your time doing that. So I'll just talk about what happened off the field this past weekend. There's major drama going on in East Lansing with Tom Izzo and the NCAA. Tom Izzo is not happy about the NCAA, not happy about the fact that Marquette transfer Joey Hauser was denied his immediate eligibility. Tom Izzo was pissed. He stepped down from his spot on the board of the National Association of Basketball Coaches. Now, Izzo did say that this move was not correlated with the NCAA's decision to not grant Hauser immediate eligibility. But I can't, I just, I don't see it that way. I think Izzo was pissed. I think Izzo reacted a little bit too quickly because it was literally the day after Hauser was denied. I think Tom just needed to cool off a little bit, just to relax and to go and do things. He obviously, he's had some issues with the NCAA previously, and I have issues with the NCAA as well. There needs to be clear, defined rules as to who gets immediate eligible transfers and who does not. It is a crapshoot right now. There are no outlined, defined criteria to say a player will be eligible, a player will not be eligible. The case-by-case -case basis does not work for me. It does not work for Tom Izzo, obviously, not as well. There needs to be defined ways for each of these teams to know whether or not these players will be able to play this year upon a transfer. I agree with Izzo. It's frustrating. And I understand where he's coming from. I do think he added, uh, he acted a little irrationally by going out and leaving his spot on the board. But 
I get it as well. But that's something to watch for. Uh, the relationship between one of the best coaches in all of the NCAA on the hoops side and the NCAA. It'll be interesting to see. The Fighting Illini and Brad Underwood added guard Adam Miller to the fold. And I've said this for years and years and years. The Fighting Illini don't ever need to leave the state for basketball talent. There is a ton of talent inside the state. And they have missed on a lot of them. And Miller, the Chicago native, decided to stay at 6'3", 170 pounds. When you hear his offer list, you'll know how big of a coup this was for Brad Underwood. Arizona, Arizona State, Louisville, Kansas, Memphis. We're talking about the who's who right now of college basketball. Nah, he didn't have a Duke. Yeah, he didn't have a UNC. Yeah, he didn't have a Kentucky. But the rest of those, Arizona, Arizona State, Louisville, Kansas, Memphis, they're making a come up with Penny Hardaway. Yeah, that's a damn good offer list. A top 50 prospect nationally, and he is going to stay in state. And one of the reasons why Miller decided to stay in state was because Aosumu paved the way for him to do it. And I love the fact that Brad Underwood is working off of it. The Illini look very solid on the court this year. And Miller is just another feather in Underwood's cap and a very, very solid pickup. And that's going to do it for me this morning on your Big Ten Morning Minutes. Once again, I appreciate the listen. Go ahead and give me a follow on Twitter at MFC2123. Follow the website on Twitter as well at Two Cents Pods. Like us on Facebook. It's Two Cents Pods over there. Rate us, review us, and share us on all of your listening platforms. Have a happy Monday, Big Ten fans. Talk to you tomorrow morning.